and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cubs fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter, or maybe it's X now, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please drop a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can now support Cubs PS Plus on Patreon. Our page is cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers which come with added perks, such as a private Discord discussion group, merch discounts, the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests, and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 47, the Shooter and Miggy episode of this podcast, in honor of the late, great Rod Beck, closer for that plucky 1998 wildcard team, and Miguel Montero, who had so many big moments in the 2016 World Series run. This week, I talk about the Cubs' decision to be buyers at the deadline and what that means for this, this season and beyond. I get into the trades themselves, talk about the last week of Cubs baseball and how the Cubs are looking for the postseason. With Jamer Candelario once again a Cub, it's a 53-game sprint to the postseason. What are their chances? What does their run differential mean? Let's discuss. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So how much fun was this last week of Cubs baseball? Since I last recorded, the Cubs took three out of four from St. Louis and then came home and took three out of four from Cincinnati. That Cincinnati series was amazing. Um, we'll get more into detail here in a minute, but, I mean, that Cincinnati team is impressive. That young talent, that offense especially, just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. What's going to be interesting to see for them is to see if they have enough pitching. Clearly this weekend they did not. But let's back this up. So when I recorded last week and we last met, the Cubs were heading into the deadline. And the Cubs for the last month, six weeks – since they had that bad May, have really been a big question. Are they going to buy or are they going to sell? Are they going to take advantage of having Cody Bellinger having a comeback season, Marcus Stroman, Marcus Stroman having a great first half, and are they going to sell those for more young or maybe hopefully major league ready talent? Or are the Cubs going to compete this year? Now, if, um, a lot of people had a lot of different opinions this season. Go back to the stuff I was saying preseason. I expected this to be about an 83-win team plus or minus a couple. I also thrown in the obvious caveat that you know, if they're buyers at the deadline, they can improve the roster and maybe they can even move up from there. Um, and so the last four to six weeks have been pressure. We talked about this last week a little bit. You know, There's so much pressure to show the front office that you're playing good baseball, to do what it takes to become a buyer at the deadline as opposed to a seller. And that put a lot of stress series by series by series. I mean, coming... They had a nice stretch for a while until they went to London, lost that second game to St. Louis, came home, got swept by Philadelphia. That point, it was really looking like sell territory. Then they lost two out of three to Cleveland, split with Milwaukee, blew a couple games they could have won. And then they did beat the Yankees two out of three before the break. So it looked like after the break, the team was going to have to really, really do some things and do some damage. And then they came out and lost two out of three to Boston. And they lost the first game to Washington. And that just brought back all the bad memories when the of when the Cubs went to Washington and lost three out of four, and they got swept in Miami. 
And just like here, it looked like here we go again. But then they turned it around. They won the last two against the Nationals. They lost the first game of the Cardinal series, but then they came back and, you know, won some amazing games. I mean, I'll, we'll never forget the Mike Talkman walk-off catch. You know, I mean, how exciting is that? Um, and they've done it in a lot of different ways. They've done it with defense. They've had good pitching. They've won low-scoring games. They've won blowouts. And so they, they put this on, on themselves. I mean, this team wants to win. You look around and Dansby Swanson has a ring. You know, Trey Mancini has a ring. Uh, Jan Gomes has been to the World Series, uh, and he has a ring. He won it with the Nationals in 2019. Like, these guys know how to win. There's enough guys in that clubhouse to help teach the young kids how to win. And they want to compete. And so they finally get to the point, you know, they have a good series against St. Louis and the front office. You know, Jed has said all along he didn't want to sell. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't believe him. But you look at what has happened with this team, and this team was put together to compete. Now, this is a flawed roster. It has been from day one. I've talked about that a lot, as has everybody else in the in the Cubs, you know, all the Cubs writers and podcasters and all the stuff. But they did put this roster together, hoping to have a roster good enough to make the playoffs. Not a championship roster, most likely. But, you know, they... And you look at the moves they've made. I, I still see people talking about how the Cubs really were designed to sell at the break. They weren't. Now, some of the shots they took in free agency, they took on guys that, hey, if things don't pan out, we can then also trade them, like they did last year with David Robertson and Chris Martin, Michael Givens. You know, they did the year before with Andrew Chafin and, and a couple of the other bullpen arms. But this team, you know, if you're designed to sell, you're not going to extend Ian Happ. He would have been one of the more tradable commodities. Now, he's not had a great year, but his numbers are still pretty solid overall because he gets on base so much. But so then we get to the deadline, and the Cubs actually add. They you know, they picked up Jamer Candelario from Washington, bringing Jamer back home. He was on this 2016 World Series championship team. It's hard to believe, one, that they won the World Series, and two, that it was actually seven years ago. It's getting a little bit crazy. They made another deal, sent Nelson Velasquez to the Kansas City Royals for Jose Quas. He's a kind of a funky sidearmish kind of Scott Afrosi, you know, delivery reliever. Um, he looked decent the other day. We'll see. I mean, I, I think uh, I'm always a fan of guys who do something different. So whether it's a unique pitch or it's deception or delivery or it's a bit of a sidewinder, you know, just give teams different looks and mix it up so that every guy coming out doesn't look exactly the same. Um, we'll see how good he is. I do wish the Cubs would have added more, you know, bullpen arms at the deadline, especially picking up a lefty. Um, they made one other small move. They sent uh, Adrian Sampson and Manny Rodriguez to Tampa Bay for Josh Roberson. And Roberson's a guy that throws hard. Um, you know, he's up around 97, 98. He's got a good slider. We'll see. He has not made his major league debut. He's not on the Cubs 40-man roster yet. Um, so that's more of a depth get. You know, I talked last week about how the Cubs had to clear some roster spots uh, to accommodate all their new draftees. And this is part of that. You know, they traded from strength. You know, Samson and Manny Rodriguez have both had shots. They've been on the 40. They came off the 40. Samson's had some injury problems this year. He's just coming back from knee surgery. Um but those are both guys who were going to be minor league free agents at the end of the season. So it made sense to send them to Tampa. And Tampa does great things with pitchers. So, you know, hopefully they have some success over there. I'm not rooting against them. 
Um, and I think they're getting back a guy who seems to have a live arm and some potential. So, you know, I think it's worth taking a shot and kind of clearing some of that, especially some of those roster spots that maybe wouldn't have carried over to next year anyway. I mean, you look at Adrian Sampson. I really like what he did last year. He was really strong down the stretch. But when you look at this Cubs rotation, you know, you've already got Stroman and Steele and Jamison Tyone and Kyle Hendricks and Drew Smiley. And then you factor in the guys after that, Javier Assad, Hayden Wisniewski, you know, Ben Brown has done a lot of good things in AAA. He's on the 40-man roster. Caleb Killian is still getting it done in Iowa. He's on the 40-man roster. You got Jordan Wicks coming up. Kate Horton's coming up. Just like where was Adrian Sampson going to fit? And again, so going back a couple of years, remember when it was sort of Alex, Alec Mills in that role? You know, he was the one who was kind of hanging around. He'd be the extra starter if you needed, if somebody got hurt. But think of how they've upgraded their pitching, and now you know you've got guys with much higher velos, better secondary pitches. Nothing against Alec Mills, but you know the Cubs' pitching depth is so much greater than it was before. They can afford to let that go. Um, I always liked Manny Rodriguez because he threw so hard. Um, he had his struggles in the majors. Uh, we'll we'll see. Tampa probably. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they were able to unlock something with him. But I think the trade deadline hard pressed to give them an A. I, I don't think they they can get an A or even a high B without you know getting more of an impact reliever. But in terms of the Cubs sending a message that they're buying and no longer. Hopefully they're all out of their teardown phase. Um, I give him a B minus probably on the trade deadline. I like the Candelario pickup. I think he can play first or third. We've seen him play both already. He's off to a quick start with the bat. But even before the quick start, like he's a guy who has hit. You know, the Cubs had him and the Cubs liked him. He was a pretty good prospect back in 2016-2017. And the Cubs traded him along with Isaac Paredes uh, to Detroit for Justin Wilson and Alex Avila. At the time, it looked like a good trade because Justin Wilson was a lefty, Cubs needed bullpen help, and he was probably the best arm on the market at the time, but he just, and he had a year and a half of control left. He came over and was just awful. He was terrible from the start. Um, Alex Avila was actually uh, really good for the rest of that season, gave the Cubs some you know, solid backup catching, had some big hits, but that trade just didn't really work out, and now I think... Uh, you know, Candelaria was blocked. So kind of like the trades they made here, you know, you want to be in a position where you've got depth in the system and you can trade from strength. And so to get Candelaria, you have to give up talent to get talent. And the Cubs did that. They traded away pitching prospect DJ Hers and shortstop Kevin Made, uh, both guys who were pretty well regarded in the Cubs system. I've talked to Greg Huss about both guys. Um, they both come would come up frequently on the Cubs on Deck podcast and over on Northside Bound. But when you look at where the, they sit, you know, Kevin Made is ho- hopelessly blocked. And the Cubs have Dansby Swanson signed for seven years. They've got Nico Horner locked in at second base. They just drafted Matt Shaw, who seems to be off to a quick start in the minors. And when you look at the Cubs, you know, top 30 prospects, whether you're looking at fan graphs or MLB pipeline, you know, the, the Cubs have four to five shortstops already in the top 30, some of whom were already ahead of Kevin. So Fangraph's top 30, when I looked the other day, it was uh, two days after the deadline, they still had Kevin Made listed as a Cub. He'll get moved out of there and, and move over to uh, Washington here soon. But 
They have Jefferson Rojas as the Cubs' number 11 prospect. You know, he's he's a teenager still in low A ball. And you've got Christian Hernandez, who's 19 and also uh, with Rojas in Myrtle Beach in low A. You know, Kevin Made was their number 19 prospect. Derniche Valdez is in rookie ball. He's 17. He's number 21. And Fangraphs had Alexis Hernandez, an 18-year-old in rookie ball, as their number 29 prospect. You know, MLB Pipeline was similar, had them ranked a little bit differently. They have Christian Hernandez at number 9, Jefferson Rojas at number 15, Valdez at number 17, and then they have still have Ed Howard at number 22. So you look at that, and Kevin Made, I think, can be a good player. Uh, we'll see what the bat does. His glove, his defensive reputation is excellent. But where was he going to be contributing to the Cubs in the near term? You know, he's probably going to get passed by Matt Shaw, already behind a couple other guys. And that's not a shot on Kevin. Not at all. That's more about the depth that the Cubs are building. And this is where I think you know, the Cubs now, per fan graphs, are up to the number two farm system in baseball. It's a very different farm system than what we saw in 2015. You know, 2014-2015, the Cubs were at times number one in, in a lot of the lists. And that's because they had really high-end talent. They had... Javier Baez hadn't graduated from prospect status yet. They had Chris Bryant in the minor leagues. They had just drafted Kyle Schwarber. Um, Albert Almora was coming up through the system. You just had these guys that were top end. Now the system's currently about depth. And so when you look at, you know, we just talked about Kevin Made. When you look at DJ Hers, he's a guy who's been highly regarded as a pitching prospect. He's a lefty. He was coming up the system really fast. Then he had some arm injuries you know, he's dealing with some injuries last year, early part of this year. Kind of slowed his development, but I still think uh, Greg, Huss, Greg Huss was talking about him this week and saying that he thinks he's still going to be a major league pitcher. And I think he can too. I think one of the questions with hers is, is he going to stay a starter? Will he eventually go to the pen? I think he's somebody who probably will eventually pitch in the major leagues and maybe good. That may even be a guy that we look back on and say, you know, hey, maybe maybe we shouldn't have given him up. But you can't hold on to everybody. Like I was talking about with Adrian Sampson, there's just, there's just a lot of arm talent in this system. So DJ Hers may have continued to rise up through the ranks. He may have exploded next year. But you take a position where you have some depth. The Cubs have guys stacked up right now looking to maybe make their major league debuts or maybe make a splash and stick in the bigs over the next two to three years. And assuming they continue to draft well and develop players... A guy like DJ Hurst is a little bit expendable. When you talk about prospect capital, there are sort of three paths. I've talked about this before, but I'll hit it one more time. You've got guys you want to come up and be, ideally, maybe even stars, but guys who come up and become your regular players. In any given situation, even as a big market team, you want to be able to have some number of players that you've brought up through your own system that can produce and contribute as starters, as members of a pitching rotation, as maybe impact arms at the back end of the bullpen before they hit free agency while they're still relatively cheap, you know, in their pre-arbitration years, in the arbitration years. That's how you sustain payroll while you're able to still go out and find whatever hole it is you have on your roster, be able to go fill some of those holes with free agent talent. The other option is you're going to want some of those players as depth because a roster is not just the nine starters in the batting order every day, three high-end guys in the back end, and the starting rotation. You've got to have bench players and depth, and it really helps if some of those 
even the low leverage bullpen arms and some of the utility infielders, those kinds of guys, if they can be young players kind of getting a start, you know, that can be really, really helpful. And after that, you've got system depth. So you want to be able to cover injuries. You want to continue to have a development pipeline because, you know, six years from now, Dansby Swanson's gone or maybe not gone, but his contract will be up and there will be more decisions to make at some point. Maybe as he gets older, maybe he stops playing shortstop. Maybe somebody in the Cubs system, maybe, you know, Matt Shaw, I don't think is projected to stay at shortstop, but maybe one of those guys in the system right now comes up and, or maybe Nico Horner does and supplants Dansby at shortstop. Maybe Dansby moves over to second base or third base, but you want to have those options as players age, as you bring in those more expensive star level players, you're eventually going to be paying for their back-end aging curve, and you want to make sure you got some young talent to help offset that in the beginning. And then beyond that, you've got trade depth. And I'm not a huge fan of you know gutting your system. There, there's a point in time to really go for it. Um, Glaber Torres was a top prospect when the Cubs traded him to the Yankees for um, Aroldis Chapman in 2016. But that was a team that was clearly built to win right then. They were maybe a year early, but they were cruising. They were you know, one of, if not clearly the best team in baseball at that point in the season, they looked like they needed a little bit more help on the back end of the bullpen. And the Cubs went in, went out and got one of the top guys and you had to pay that price to do it. So I'm fine using the prospect depth, but what the Cubs did this year, while I would have liked to see them do more, this team is solid, right? Like I've talked about them being, I think an 83 win team, maybe a team that could win 85 games. That's a decent team. This is not a team that anybody had penciled in to win the World Series. This is not a team that just needs that one more piece. Let's go get that. Let's go get Justin Verlander on the free agent market. Let's go trade for Max Scherzer. Let's go get Shohei Otani. Like that one piece was not going to put the Cubs over the top to a championship. So this was not the year to trade Peter Armstrong or Owen Casey, Cade Horton, some of those top guys in the system. But what they did do is they took a couple guys who I think um, DJ Hers I think was in the top 20 and Kevin Made was not. But, you know, two well-thought-of prospects. Actually, I think it was the opposite. I think Kevin Made was in the top 20. DJ Hers had fallen out of it because of the injury concerns. But anyway, you're, you're taking two depth pieces that have potential. And Christopher Morell, when he came up last year, was the tw- number 21 prospect in the Cubs system. So don't get too far into those ratings. I mean, there's a difference between Pete Crow Armstrong as a prospect and the Cubs number 30, but you know, there's not a ton of difference between number 16 and number 21, but the Cubs traded from depth and they made that trade. They got rid of those guys. They traded away Adrian Sampson and Manny Rodriguez and the Cubs overall depth of talent is not really hurt. And we'll see if the new guys they brought in are interesting, but that's where I want them to be. And I think the most important thing this deadline did was send that signal that, hey, we're we're coming out of this phase where we're going to sell off every year. Let me sell again at some point. I mean, look at what the Mets did, right? They spent, I don't know, three quarters of a billion dollars on new contracts in the offseason. They've had a terrible season. They're not playing good baseball at all. And the Mets were able to offload a bunch of those players. Now, they ate a bunch of money to do so, but they got some good prospects back. So I guess we'll see how that goes. But I guess Mets are going to Met. They're still kind of that organizational dumpster fire that they've always been. We'll see what they do this offseason. 
But for the Cubs, it's continued growth and development. And that played into kind of the sense of urgency. We've felt it over the last several weeks. You know, last four to six weeks, it's playing to see, is for, can we make the front office invest in this team or are they going to punt it for another year? And as they did that, I think we've seen more and more sense of urgency. And I think that was demonstrated this this week by designating Trey Mancini for assignment. Now, he's a guy the Cubs signed this offseason, two years, $14 million, so $7 million this year, $7 million next. I think the Cubs owed him $9.5 million total on his deal at the time that they cut him. So next year, they're going to be carrying you know $7 million of Trey Mancini's dead money. And I'm a little bit sad about it. I mean, Trey Mancini has long had a reputation as a great, great dude in baseball. Um, he's hit in the past. He's hit for power. I really thought that he would rebound and, and at least give the Cubs you know, some platoon-level power, you know, bench bat kind of options, and he just it, it just wasn't working. And as they continued to play him, like nothing really changed. And so they moved on. And I think this sends a big message. So not only are they buyers at the deadline, and they cut Trey Mancini and were willing to eat that money, one thing I've seen, I've talked about it on this podcast over the last year or so, is the Cubs have shown a willingness to move off guys. I know it's frustrating to fans because a lot of times they don't do it as fast as we want them to. But they bring guys in and they want to see who they have. And once they decide that they that guy is not who they thought they were bringing in, they will move them along. The Cubs eventually did that with Jason Hayward. They've done that with Trey Mancini. They were the whole slew of guys last year. And they've done it with Eric Hosmer this year. So I think there's more and more of a sense of urgency. We've also seen it this week with Seiya Suzuki starting to play less. I mean, he has been in a slump for a long time and has not had anywhere near the year people thought he was going to have. He's basically a platoon at this point. You know, he'll start against right-handers, and he's starting to sit more and more often in favor of Mike Talkman. And I think bringing in Jamer Candelario kind of opened that up, opened up that door to some additional flexibility. So what they had been doing in the past is sometimes – Mike Talkman would play center and Cody Bellinger would play first. Well, now not only can you have Nick Madrigal, who's back, play third, you can have Candelario play first. Then you can put Bellinger in center and Talkman in right. So until, say, his back gets going, like that's that's an option too. But I think that sense of urgency really pl- showed itself this week. In that Cincinnati series, you know, the Cubs came in. I think everybody thought, I thought they really needed to get a, at least a split. Like they they had already passed. I talked about this last week. They had already passed the angsty period up to the deadline, and they bought. So there's all this pressure to win and to showcase what you can do and convince management to invest. And then once it's over, it's like now what? Well, now what is you know at the time there were almost 60 games left on the schedule. You got two months of baseball left, so you can't just stop. That's not the end of it. You didn't win anything at that point. And so you got to move ahead. And it was nice to play a four-game set against the, you know, the first-place team in your division. That's always a chance to make some noise and, and close close a gap. But after such a run like that, I also hate to put too much pressure on any one series. I see a lot of stuff on social media about this game's a must-win. The Cubs have to get this game. The Cubs have to get that game. And I think we're probably at, what, I think I've seen 47 must-win games for the Cubs already this year. And... That's just not really how baseball works. Like, 
you can't go out and like if the Cubs would have gone out and gotten swept by the Reds this, this week, that would have been a disaster. You know, they they'd have just traded, missed an opportunity to potentially sell guys, and they'd be like eight games out, maybe ten. I forget where they started the series. I guess they're they made up two games. Yeah, they were four, so they'd have been eight games out if they'd have gotten swept. So you know, at least split. And they lost that first game, um, but that first game showed me something. So the Cincinnati Reds offense, you know, Ellie De La Cruz and Steer and uh, Benson, just guy after guy after guy, they're out there. Uh, Friedel, you know, they're out there putting together good at-bats. They're aggressive on the bases. They're aggressive at the plate. They hit the ball hard. They love to run, take extra bases. Cubs got down big early in the first game. And battled back, battled back, kept chipping away. I thought they were going to get over the hump. They didn't. But, you know, 6-5 loss kind of sent the message that, hey, this this team's not going to roll over. There were so many times earlier in the season um, when the roster wasn't as talented or the guys weren't quite as pulled tight together as they are right now where they'd fall behind early and if they didn't get a couple runs, like it just kind of felt like things just stopped. Like Not that they weren't trying, they were trying, but... It just kind of felt like they were not going to get any more runs. And lately with this team, it hasn't felt like that. It feels like they can come back from almost any deficit. Obviously, they're not going to win them all, so they didn't come back and win that first game against um, Cincinnati. But then they really showed out in game two. Like They were behind in every game of the series and won three out of four. You know, the, the Cubs, I guess they weren't behind in game two. Game two, they came out and jumped the Reds for five runs to open, you know, in the first inning. But then, you know, the Reds came back with two. But then the Cubs answered. And then they just kept piling on after that. And, you know, so that game was 20 to 9. It was a little scary in the ninth inning when the Cubs came in with a 20 to 5 lead and just could not get that third out. The other thing I noticed about this Reds team, and actually the Cubs did a lot in the series too, were two out rallies. A lot of times where one team or the other would, you know, get a team down um, two outs, nobody on, then a walk, then a hit, then a double, then a walk. You know, it just kept going and going and going. And so the nice thing in that first game, so the first game when they lost 6-5, they were facing Abbott, and Abbott had been on a really good run. He had thrown, I think, 17 consecutive scoreless innings prior to that start. And it looked like a game the Cubs, you know, might have a lot of trouble winning. But the Cubs were able to get to him pretty early. They got a run in the second. They got three runs in the third and pretty much knocked him out. And that set the tone for the weekend. So the Cubs were into that bullpen early. You know, Abbott was gone, one out into the fourth, and then they had to throw six different guys the rest of the game to hold on and get that win. Now, they weren't all throwing a ton of innings, but Diaz for one, Jabot for one, Sims for one. Young for a third of an inning, Cruz for two thirds of an inning, Farmer for an inning and two thirds. Like you get in a four game series, you get into that bullpen early in game one, that's going to pay off. And then in game two, you know, the Cubs jumped on the starter early and they were able to get in that Reds bullpen by the fifth. You know, Lively, they kind of made Lively wear that one because of what happened the day before. So Lively went four innings, gave up 13 runs on 13 hits and two walks. And then the bullpen had to eat you know, the rest of that game. So that was another four innings. Um, they did throw their backup catcher, Maley, for the last inning in the third. And then they move into game three, you know, and the 
Reds come out in that game and they take the lead. They jumped the Cubs for two in the first, one in the second. Cubs came back, got two in the third. The Red the Reds got two more off Smiley in the fourth, and you know they're up five two, and it's not looking great. It's another bad outing for Smiley, and the Cubs are now into the bullpen early in the game. But then the Cubs just kept battling back, and once they got past the starter, they knocked Williamson out in the fifth and got into, you know, Farmer again. He had pitched anything in two-thirds on Monday. You know, Sims was pitching second day in a row. Young was in for a second time in the week, and, you know, you see these guys again. It's not a great bullpen to start with. They start having to throw a lot of innings. I was, because I live in Charlotte, which apparently is very near Cincinnati, so I get blacked out of the Cubs feed. I have to watch, or I get blacked out on Major League Baseball TV, I have to watch on the the Reds channel. So listen to the Reds announcers. Like they were talking all week about how the struggles they've had in the bullpen. You know their top guys they've had to go to. They're on pace for you know seventy appearances this season, which is a ton. So you get those guys. It's hot, and they have to throw a lot of innings. They're having to throw multiple days in a row, and they're getting pounded. And you know it just it built from there. So the Cubs won Game Three, sixteen six, and then last night was you know, more well-played game, I guess, but it was, it was a thriller. I mean, the, again, the Reds got up first in the first inning and on a Ellie De La Cruz leadoff home run on the first pitch of the game. And then the Cubs came back with one, the Cubs took a lead. And then from that point, you know, again, the Cubs got to Weaver in the third, he had been pitching pretty well, but the Cubs got to him in the third, took a four to one lead. And that was pretty much it. They, they actually didn't get a lot off the Reds bullpen yesterday until they got a really key, you know, insurance run in the ninth that really helped give some cushion or in bottom of the eighth to set up the top of the ninth inning with a two run lead, which made a bunch of difference. But the Cubs bullpen, yeah, everything in this series, except for Anthony Kay in, in the 20 to 20 to nine game, you know, the bullpen looked really good this week. Um, last night, um, Mark Leiter Jr.'s split was just absolutely ridiculous. Their lefties couldn't touch it. He was putting it exactly where he wanted to. The movement was sharp. The movement was late. The movement was big. Um, Merriweather made one mistake pitch. The guy hit for a home run. But otherwise, I mean, he looked dominant. Edward Azalai came in and looked good in the ninth, um, eighth and the ninth, actually. And so this team now seems to have settled in. So now they're in a position where they're two and a half games out of first place. Trailing Milwaukee now has got a half game lead over Cincinnati. And they're two games out in the wild card. So they are they are in this race right now, which feels really, really good. One of the things I heard coming out of the deadline were some of the people who wanted the Cubs to trade. A lot of the discussion was, well, now if you don't sign Bellinger and you don't sign Stroman, what have you done? You've you know you've, you've got those guys. You're going to lose them for nothing. This is the return. The return is happening right now by keeping these guys and staying in the race, adding to the roster to try to compete. We're getting meaningful baseball. The crowds this week at Wrigley were electric, um, loud. You could hear it on TV. The whole crowd's getting up late in the game when, you know, the game's on the line. I mean, it was, it's amazing. This is what we wanted. All I wanted out of this season was meaningful baseball in August and September. And September's still a month away, so we'll see what happens between now and then. But right now, the Cubs have hope. The Cubs are in a race, and this is exciting. Baseball's fun. Baseball's fun all the time, but baseball's a lot more fun when you're competing for something and you've got a shot. This whole season may end. The Cubs may not make the playoffs. We're going to talk about playoff chances here in a minute, but season may end and the Cubs may not make the playoffs. That doesn't mean it was the wrong call. That doesn't mean it was a wasted trade deadline. Opportunities to compete, opportunities to go for it 
are special. Now, some teams do it every year. The Dodgers, I think, have been in the playoffs every year since 2013, maybe. Um, so some of those organiz- some of those top organizations are there all the time, but not every team is. The Cubs had a really special run from 2015 to 2020, as weird as that season was. That's the best stretch of Cubs baseball in terms of you know postseason and being consistently good probably ever in the hundred and however many years of this franchise. Certainly going back to 1900, you know you could argue that the you know 1906 to 1908 Cubs that were in two World Series and won one, you know, might have been arguably better um, in terms of you know being better teams. They probably were, but having that many years of being competitive certainly not anything close to my lifetime which goes back to 1974 certainly not going back to this side of world war ii enjoy this 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 is the fun part you know we had the cool start in april it's fun everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop then sort of did drop in may when the cubs had a terrible month got back got on a run in june hung through july and now this is the payoff. You know, maybe the Cubs will sign Bellinger. Jed Hoyer had a pretty interesting interview the other day. He was had an awfully smiley face talking about Cody Bellinger and, and prospects for signing him in the offseason. Now, he doesn't ever say anything about that stuff, and he didn't this time either. But he had a very different look on his face. Um, we'll see what happens with Stroman. You know, he's now on the injured list. They put him on uh, the 15-day IL because of hip inflammation. He got a cortisone shot the other day I've heard talk that he's going to miss one start but they put him on the 15 day IL so I think he's he's missing two um, unless that was misreported and it was maybe the 10 day IL maybe he could just miss one start but I think with the run he's had he's been struggling he's not located his pitch as well his last couple starts he's come out in the first inning and actually been pretty sharp to start and then it kind of falls off so that lends into I thought he was maybe still dealing with that blister he got in London but if it's a hip and he's not got his leg drive in his pitches and he feels fatigued faster, which is what he said the other day, I think there's a pretty good, uh, pretty reasonable belief that that's what's causing, you know, his performance recently. Um, he's pitching like he's tired. So take a couple starts off, get the stint on the IL, get healthy, work some of the mechanic stuff out in the, bullpen because he's he's a guy who's big and you know, his mechanics have to be repeatable and they have to be there every single time he doesn't have the pure stuff just to blow people away and I think that'll be good it'll also be an opportunity for either Javier Assad or Hayden Wisniewski to step up you know both of those guys have you know Javier Assad's been really really good lately I think he's given up one run in his last 20 plus innings 20 23 innings um Wesneski's been up and down, but he's looked good out of the pen recently. He had a, he looked other than giving up the home run to Lars Newtbar to lead off the game. He was good for a couple innings when he was the opener for Drew Smiley in St. Louis. So we'll see. I think one of those two, either Assad or Wesneski, will probably start on Saturday um, against Elder for the Braves, filling and taking Marcus Stroman's spot in the rotation. And I still think there are questions out on Drew Smiley. He got off to a really great start. I mean, he was he threw that almost perfect game. He was putting together one of the best stretches of his career, and he's just kind of fallen. He's really fallen off lately. And I think a lot of it's workload. He's a guy who's battled injuries off and on throughout his career. He's never really been able to build up and be that, you know, 130 to 180 innings 
type starting pitcher. You know, last year he missed a good chunk of the first half of the season, then looked really good in the second half. And then this year he started well, but you know he's already up over 100 innings, and I think this is just kind of who he is at this point. The Cubs, I think, have plans to keep him in the rotation at this point, but you know it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to maybe flip him into the bullpen and maybe have you know Asad or Wesneski start for Stroman and have the other one start for Smiley. But we'll see how it goes. Um, I do like both in the bullpen. I mean, Javier Asad has given them some really big innings. He's even come, come into a couple big spots and gotten some big outs in, in leverage situations, but he's a guy that if a starter falters and has to bump out early like Stroman's had to do a few times lately, Asad's a guy that has shown he can come in. He's going to shut the other team down for two, three, four innings and get you to the more back end of the game. And whether you're in the lead and he's holding on to it or whether the, you know the starter got them behind the eight ball, he's shown that he's going to keep the team in the game, give him a chance to come back and win. And that's, that's what we saw from him in the World Baseball Classic, and I think that's who he is. I think he deserves a chance to start, and I think Hayden Wesneski is a guy who's definitely in their plans for future rotations, so I'd like to see those two guys get starts. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked to Alex Cohen, and, and some of the guys at Iowa continue to pitch well. Caleb Killian has thrown a – he threw a really good game this week. I think he gave a born run in five innings. Um he continues to get it done. Ben Brown had thrown well. He'd come back from a slump in Iowa. He's on the injured list now, but it sounds like it's a lad issue that's not that big of a deal. I think it – you never know with the minor leaguers. Once – if there's anything going on, they're kind of always looking for ways to manage their load. Um, you know, Ben Brown is a guy who didn't pitch a lot for three or four seasons because of a bunch of arm injuries. Came back, started to ramp up last year, and they definitely want to stretch him out and, and push, push him higher to higher innings counts this year. But – you got to do it in the right way. So, you know, if he's feeling some discomfort or something, you know, put him on the shelf for a week or two and let it go from there. I, I still think he's a guy the Cubs might see in the bullpen later this season. But, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Um, and now there's a third of the season left. So the Cubs right now, I started talking about it last week, but, you know, since the Cubs got swept by the Angels on June 8th or 9th, you know, the Cubs are 32 and 16 since then. So this isn't just, you know, a couple hot weeks of baseball right before the deadline to try to be fool's gold. I think especially when you factor in what the Cubs did in April and you factor in the Cubs are the only team in the NL Central with a positive run differential. You know, I think this is definitely a it's not a great team and it's certainly not a perfect roster. It's got some flaws in the roster. But it's a good baseball team. And I think they've shown that over a long period of time now. And so now it's a 53-game sprint to the, see if they can make a play, make it to the playoffs. Like I said earlier, they're two and a half games out of first place in the Central NL Central. They're two games out of the wild card. Right now, Cincinnati is holding that last wild card. Um, Cubs are just a little bit behind Miami, and and I think the one team to watch coming up from behind is San Diego. San Diego added a bunch at the deadline. They were almost as aggressive at the deadline as they were last offseason. And kind of like the Mets, they haven't played to what people thought their potential was, but they have been playing better lately than the Mets. And they certainly decided to go for it as opposed to the Mets deciding to sell off. So I think San Diego is definitely a team that can make some noise in the second half and you know could potentially be a challenge to the Cubs for that wild card spot. But when you look at the, you know, kind of the playoff chances, I'm going to talk about the playoff odds, then I'm going to talk about run differential. I'm going to revisit that from a few episodes ago. 
But when you look at the um, playoff odds on Fangraphs, the Cubs currently have a 37.3% chance of making the playoffs. Now, that's way up from where they were two, three weeks ago. They were down in the teens, then moved up into the 20s. Now they're up into the high 30s. And that gives them a 23.5% chance to win the division. Right now, Fangraphs still has Milwaukee at a 60% chance to win the division, but the Cubs have now passed up the Reds for second-best odds in the division. And then the Cubs have a 13.9% chance to make the wild card, which, of course, those percentage chances factor in, you know, if they win the division, they're not going to be in the wild card. So that's why that number is lower. But that is the highest wild card percentage in the division. So Fangraphs is seeing the Cubs more as more and more of a playoff team. And when you look at the actual projections, right now the Fangraphs projections have the Cub, have the Brewers winning the division with 86 wins, the Cubs coming in at 83.4, and the Reds at 82.9. So they see the Cubs as a little bit better than the Reds, about a half a game. Um, obviously, you know the standings are never going to say 83.4 and 82.9, so that's pretty close to a dead heat there. Um, so we'll see who has a hotter you know, second half. The Cubs are a game in, uh, two games behind the Reds right now. And so they'd have to outplay them by three games the rest of the way. I think that's totally doable. If the season ended today, Fangraphs would have, obviously, the Braves winning their division, the Brewers winning the Central, the Dodgers winning the West. And the wild cards would be the Giants, Phillies, and the Padres. And the Cubs would miss it by a game. Now what's interesting is with that third wild card, you know, there's a lot of question about how many wins will it take to get there last year, the Phillies came in the last wild card spot at 87 wins. And I went back and looked through AL and NL going back 10 years. I skipped the 2020 season, so I go back to 2012. And it's not a perfect comparison because teams would play this out differently. So last year was the only year where the third wild card team actually got to be in. But I looked at who was third in the wild card race. And, you know, some of these would have changed over time because teams would have approached it differently and some teams would have decided not to sell and all of those things. But if you look at the total records, you know, over the last 10 years, the best number three non-division winner in a season was in 2019. It was in the AL and it was Cleveland. They won 93 games. And the AL has actually had, I think the AL East is a big factor here, but they've had a number of teams missed the wild card with 90 wins. And so that was, you know, Tampa Bay won 90 in 2012, Texas won 91 in 2013, missed by a spot. And then Tampa won 90 in 2018, then Cleveland with 93 in 2019, Toronto with 91 wins in 2021. Um, But if you look at the AL, the average, and so we've heard the high at 93, and the low was in 2017, Kansas City... The Los Angeles Angels and Tampa Bay all tied 80 wins for what would have then been the third wild card. So that was a year, again, I think things would have played out differently, but based on the way the standings ended, that would have been a year where a sub-500 team might have made the playoffs. And when you average that out over the last 10 years in the American League, the average you know, third place in the wild card race has been 87.9 wins, so about an 88-win season. And when you look at the National League, the National League has been more consistent, but not as top-heavy. So nobody in the National League has won 90 games and missed the playoffs. But they've also not had anybody at 80 wins come in third in the wildcard race either. So the high for the National League was 2018 when St. Louis won 88 and missed the wildcard. And the low was 2014 
when Milwaukee won 82 and was third in the wild card race. But the average in the NL is 85.4 wins, so 85, 86 wins. And where is this Cubs team projected? Like I just laid it out, the Cubs by fan graphs are projected to win 83 games. There's not a huge difference between 83 and 86. You know, and like I said, Fangraphs has the Cubs missing the wild card by a game. So if they have it 84 wins, they're projecting the bottom end of the wild card race to be about 85 wins. So it's no longer, you know, with two wild cards, you really had to get to that 88, 90 win threshold, you know, 90% of the time. Um, occasionally you have a crazy year like 2015 when, you know, the Cubs and Pirates were the wild card teams at 98, 97 wins. That doesn't happen very often. But so it's, the, it's really the 85, 86, 87 win threshold the Cubs are looking for. And they're on a pretty close pace to do it. And if you flip over to Baseball Reference, uh, which also has playoff odds, and they look at things differently, so it's always good to look between the two. They have the Cubs playoff chances a lot higher than Fangraphs. So Baseball Reference has the Cubs at a 55.5% chance to make the playoffs. And their 90% confidence range have the Cubs going anywhere from 90 and 71 uh, at the high end to 79 and 82 at the low end. And we'll see. You know, I'll, Either one of those are in play. I mean, the Cubs could get crazy hot and go on a run, and they could get to 90 wins. They could also have a couple of key injuries and kind of go in the tank and you know, at the low end. But I think for the most part in the middle where they're projecting the Cubs to come out is, you know, 55%, a little bit better than the coin flip to make the playoffs. Baseball reference has the Cubs at a 41.7% chance to win the division and a 13.8% chance to win the wild card, which is kind of in line with fan graphs. So the biggest difference between the two is they see the Cubs. Really the biggest difference is where each system sees the Brewers. It's They've got the Cubs about the same spot. Um, but the baseball reference has the Reds at 38.9% chance to win the division and Milwaukee all the way down at 19.3. So baseball reference believes a lot more in what the Reds are doing than what Milwaukee's doing. And over the last 30 days on baseball reference, the Cubs playoff chances have gone up 30%, which is not surprising. They've been on a good run. They've won some big games. They added some talent. Um, but another thing that's driving that is run differential. And so, you know, in episode 36, on this podcast, I talked about run differential and what run differential means for the playoffs. And it's never universal. There are teams with, there have been teams with hundred plus run differentials that don't make the playoffs. And there have been teams with negative run differentials that do. So you're not guaranteed anything, but when you look at this numbers over time in that episode, I had gone again, back through kind of that same last 10 year period. And out of the teams that had a hundred plus run differential, almost 96% of them made the playoffs. You know, if you were 90-plus run differential, 93% of those teams made the playoffs. If you were 80-plus, you know, 91 and a quarter percent made the playoffs. If you had a positive run differential at all, you had a 71% chance to make the playoffs. So where are the Cubs right now? A little bit inflated from this red series maybe, but they're currently at 79. They're, they're plus 79 in run differential. That puts them on a pace for 117. So they're putting together the type of season that would tend to push towards the playoffs. And we'll see there are all the reasons why, you know, it's not just bad luck. You sort of look at the Pythagorean records and, you know, the Cubs should probably be about five or six games better than they are. Some of that's luck. Some of that's, you know, early in the season, especially in May, they were playing 
a ton of close games. And when you play close games, all those little lucky little bounces come into play. You know, when the Cubs were blowing the Reds out 20 to five the other day, it didn't really matter if a couple bloop singles fell in the ninth or there was a bad ball strike call. You know, I mean, the Reds put together a good rally and scored four runs and they still lost by, you know, 11. When you're blowing teams out, it's great. Um, but when you're playing close games, that little bloop hit that, you know, 1-1 pitch off the plate that the umpire calls a strike. So now the pitcher gets to use his nasty filth with two with a 1-2 count, you know, puts the hitter behind the eight ball. You know, that stuff can make a big difference in a, in a tight ball game. And the Cubs were not good enough in the margins, especially early in the season. It took them a little bit too long to get the bullpen settled. The bullpen's doing great now, but they blew a lot of games early in the season. A lot of times before the last, like, six, seven weeks that the Cubs were not really able to add that extra run. They might get three, four, five runs early, and then if the other team kept chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, the Cubs often seemed to really struggle with runners in scoring position and to really be able to get that extra run back. And a lot of that has changed. Um, so again, like some of those numbers where the Cubs were hitting so bad and had, you know, bad BABIP numbers and all the things with runners in scoring position, you know, it's kind of baseball loves to regress to the mean. Like what you are is over a big enough sample size will show itself. And we're seeing that now. So some of the things that were kind of skewed early in the season are kind of coming back and the Cubs are on a bit of a run. So now we'll find out what are the last two months like? You know, can they can they sustain this run they've been on? Can their pitching stay healthy enough? Today we've got Kyle Hendricks going against the Braves to open that series. It's a big series. It's no kind of must win. Hopefully the Cubs don't get swept. I think they'll absolutely have a chance to win the series. I mean, they could win today. They're facing Max Freed, who's just coming off, you know, kind of a long injury stint. So who knows how deep into the game he can even go. Um, if the Cubs pitch well, they'll have a shot to win this game. That Braves lineup is nasty. I mean, just top to bottom, there are no holes. And so the Cubs have Hendricks going today. Who knows tomorrow, filling in for Stroman, probably either Assad or Wisniewski. And then they've got Steele going on Sunday. I know the Cubs have not been good on Sundays. They've not been good at home on Sundays. But hopefully Justin Steele can throw a game and, and keep him in it, and hopefully these bats can stay hot. But whatever happens this series, you know, again, there are 53 games left. So this isn't a must win. They they play the Braves, and then they go off to the Mets. Good New York to play the Mets. And then then they go to Toronto, play, play a really good Blue Jays team. And then the schedule kind of softens up. You know, after that Blue Jays series, they come back home for two with the White Sox, three against Kansas City. They go to Detroit and Pittsburgh. And then they come home and play back-to-back series against Milwaukee and Cincinnati. So I think by early September, um, by Labor Day, we'll see where this Cubs team is. If they can hold their own against the Braves and the Mets and the Blue Jays, I think certainly hold their own against the Mets. But if they can hold their own against the Braves and the Blue Jays, you know, and not fall off against some of the inferior teams they're going to play. Um, they could make a run. They could potentially be at or near the division lead by the time they're playing the Brewers and Reds again, and then that'll be a nice chance to, you know, kind of assert themselves. Then they've got an interesting stretch because then they've got home against Milwaukee for three at Cincinnati, back home to play San Francisco for three and Arizona for four, and then they go off to Colorado and Arizona. So that'll be kind of a tough stretch in the middle. And then they end the season with the Braves or with the Pirates, Rockies, 
Braves and Brewers. So they've kind of up, down, up, down the rest of the way, but they've got some places where they can definitely make noise and they've got some opportunities to play some of the teams ahead of them in their division and in the wildcard race. So everything for this team is laid out in front of them. And we'll see what this team can be. Early in the season, preseason, I heard a lot of people comparing this team to 2015. I think this team in 2015 have some similarities in the way they feel in, in the sense that they're coming off of rebuilds. The minor league prospect status seems to be more and more exciting. The team is actually getting better. Um, this team is not nearly as good as the 2015 team was, um, but that team won 97 games and had to to make the playoffs. You know, this year's team is not a 97 win team, but I think they can make some noise and potentially get in that third wild card. And if they don't, if they continue to play reasonably well, reasonably consistently, give us meaningful baseball in, in September, I'm going to call that a win for this season. That's what I wanted coming in. And so if the Cubs can give me that, I'm going to be satisfied and then look to see what they do next offseason. You know, the fact that they've been aggressive in cutting Seiya Suzuki's playing time, in you know, designating Trey Mancini for assignment and releasing him. You know, what they did with Hayward last year. I think management is showing that they are getting to the point where it's time to win again. And next year is going to be a really, really interesting free agent market. We continue to see Shohei Otani linked with the Cubs. Again, will they get him? I don't know. I want to see them go after him hard. And it's going to be Shohei's choice. You know, that's one of the benefits of being in his position. He earned it. You know, he came over to the States and has... This year he might be putting together the best baseball season a player has ever had in this league. Um, He's going to get a lot of money. He's going to have a lot of teams interested in him, and it's going to come down to where he wants to go. But this is clearly trending up. I think the Cubs absolutely have a chance to keep Cody Bellinger. We'll see what they decide to do with Marcus Stroman based on how he pitches the rest of the year. And back to Bellinger. Back through June when he was kind of slumping and then he got hurt and – when he came back, he it took him a little bit to get ramped up once he came back from the injury. You know, he's a guy that I started saying maybe he wouldn't even opt out because his performance wasn't there. Well, that has changed, and so that's obviously not the way I see it now. Um, he's almost certainly, barring some major collapse or major injury, going to opt out, um, which is fine. There's also a small chance he might sign an extension in season. I know a lot of people talk about the Boris factor, and I have as well, but... Scott Boris works for Cody Bellinger. The biggest thing with Boris clients is they don't tend to take, you know, the the hometown discount. He won't sign under market with the Cubs to stay. But if he wants to stay in Chicago, he and Scott Boris have a price. And if they talk to Jed Hoyer and that price gets met, if that's where Cody wants to be, they'll get the signing done. That's how that works. And if he goes to the offseason, if he does opt out, I think he's... He seems happy here. There have been a lot of reports that he's happy in Chicago. The Cubs clearly like him as giddy as Jed was the other day talking about him. Yeah, the Cubs will make a play in the offseason. If he wants to go out and get suited by a lot of different teams and go see what packages teams have, it's his right. You know, he's the one that bet on himself this year. If he wants to go hit free agency and go talk to a lot of teams, he's earned that right. He should go do it. And then he'll pick the best place and the best contract, whatever, whatever balance of location and winning and money he's looking for, whatever that balance is, the team that makes the best pitch is going to win. And I think the Cubs will be in a good position to do that. And we'll talk a lot more about what the Cubs need to add going forward, but I'm really excited right now. I'm thrilled that they didn't trade away, that they didn't sell at the deadline. 
I'm thrilled that they're going to compete. I love that they're playing good baseball. There's nothing more fun than Wrigley Field in a pennant race. And so enjoy it. Enjoy it. And hopefully it lasts through. Hopefully they last through the rest of the season and they make it. But even if they don't, after the past couple of years, definitely appreciate good, good, meaningful baseball in September. That's what I'm holding out hope for. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a five-star rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out our Patreon page to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast comes from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball, we're talking about Cubs baseball. It's a great day. Go Cubs!